Welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. Each week, we interview up-and-coming founders of some of the fastest-growing mid-stage startups across the world. Your host is Roland Siebelink, who will share some of his own experience helping startups scale from 10 to 1,000 people in a few years. Here is Roland. Hello, and welcome to the Mid-Stage Startup Momentum Podcast. My name is Roland Siebelink, and I'm an ally and coach for many of the fastest-growing startups around the world. One of which is with us in the studio today. It's Renee Morkos, the founder and CEO of Alice Technologies. Hello, Renee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Roland. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Excellent. And uh, for once, we're both at the same time zone, West Coast. That makes it so much easier. But uh, back to Alice Technologies, Renee. Tell us, for those that haven't heard of your company yet, uh, what does Alice do? Who do they serve? And what difference do you make in the world? So Alice Technologies has developed the world's first generative construction simulator. Okay. And so what that means is uh, if you're unfamiliar with generative technology, uh, it's a relatively simple concept. So imagine mm -hmm. you draw a, say, a cup, you know, yeah. two circles in a plane. And a bigger cup is a bigger, you know, you'd increase the size and you'd redraw it every time the size changes. Mm -hmm. If your tool is, is generative, you can change these parameters, like height and radius, and it redraws the object. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. So that's what, what parametric or generative technology does. And it's been done and designed for 30, 35 years. Mm -hmm. It's been a big kind of um, revolution in mechanical design, architectural design, electrical design, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, it's never been done for construction. And that's what we've managed to do. Interesting. Very good. So um, I'm imagining that this is related to use cases in lots of change requests in construction projects. In the, you know, the cost that often actually comes from those change requests, as I understand that industry, right? Um, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. The, the change, right, is a change of parameter. So today, mm -hmm. if there's a delay or the design changes or, you know, the, the crew doesn't show up or mm -hmm. I want to figure out, you know, I need to accelerate. Do I add a crane? Do I add, you know, overtime? Do I add crews, right? Like all of these questions, right, you're crunching them in your head. Yeah. Right. And, and the, the, the challenge is even let's assume that you're a genius and you've managed to sort of crunch this problem. It's not really crunchable, by the way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 3,000 tasks, 14 parameters per task over 700 days. You're kind of getting the, the, the size of the problem that you're trying to crunch. Right. But mm -hmm. humans, you know, have got sense. So they kind of approximate stuff. But the issue is even if you have the correct answer, you don't have information from other parts of the project. Right. Right. And so that change with, with our system is, is literally you can tell the system add a crane. Resymbol. Mm -hmm. Add a delay, uh, resequence around the delay, uh, change the design, copy the rules from the old design. Like it is very, very easy to simulate the most optimal way to build something. And consequently, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so it's not just a blueprint of, let's say, the the building or the house. It's actually the entire project management plan that is uh, affected by this. It's like project management software on steroids. Exactly. So the thing is that the the, the design part is not what we do. Mm -hmm. For us, the design is complete. You figure out what you want to build. The big question is, how do you build it? Today, mm -hmm. our you know, technology and construction is, is basically Gantt charts. Right. You know, it's, it's a manual process, right? Mm -hmm. So what we've done is we basically take the design as our input. You know, you put in the 3D model or the 2D drawings, whatever it is, and you then can generate hundreds of millions of ways to build it. When you generate lots of solutions in a computer, and you compare them to solutions generated by hand, you tend to see about a 20% improvement. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of a, a rough, you know, maybe 25, maybe 40. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of roughly what you'll, what you'll tend to see. And mm -hmm. 
With Alice, what we're seeing is roughly 17% faster and roughly 13% cheaper. Right? How have you landed on like your particularly well-suited target group? You know, I have an advisor. I have you know many advisors actually, but uh, and I kind of really try to work with with a number of people that kind of you know give me opinions on, on how to do what I'm supposed to be doing. But um, I work with one gentleman in particular called Peter Krifkovich, and he's okay. he's the chief operating officer at a company called Adroll. Mm-hmm. And he told me the point of a business is find your ICP, find your mm-hmm. profile, figure out how to generate value to that ICP. Mm-hmm. Figure out how to expand to other ICPs or within ICPs. Right. Right. And it's it's so deceptively simple, right? But but mm-hmm. uh, the question you asked me is, is who are your customers? Like the one thing that I've learned is like you've got to be so brutal in identifying your ideal customer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if your answer is oh, I can serve anybody or or I can serve almost anybody, then then you know, really go take a look at that because that's how we started. We're like, oh, mm-hmm. the, the technology works for everyone. Right. It literally does. I mean, we've done, you know, $12 million parking lots, $3.7 billion airports, right? And everything in between, right? Data centers and so forth. But to answer the question for us, what we found our sweet spot was infrastructure projects. Interesting. Infrastructure yeah. projects. And now that we've released the, the man, what we call the manage feature, so the ability to update progress and reschedule, resequence in real time mm-hmm. during construction, we are now starting to see success with commercial builders as well. Okay, very, very good. So for those listening to this podcast who may be themselves a little bit earlier in their founder journey or later, however you want to call it, so a bit, bit behind you, I'm guessing, like you said, many will not understand why if a software could be used by so many different target groups, why not just sell it to all of them? So I agree with you, the, usually the technology skills, but the go-to-market doesn't. But from your perspective, can you illustrate a little bit what made you realize that that's actually true? Yeah, happy to share. Let, let me kind of you know set the stage, mm-hmm. right? So, so we have a technology that, that works. It really does work for everybody. Yeah. We've run, like I said, you know, like, like parking lots, high rises, data centers, uh, oil and gas facilities, wind, mm-hmm. solar, like you name it. Right. right. It doesn't care. It, it eats these projects for lunch. Right. Right. And so to us, it was like, oh, well, I mean, if it, if it can, if it can run anything, why not sell it to everyone? Mm-hmm. Here's what we learned. And this is really like the truth of the matter is that different types of customers do business differently. Right. So here's, here's a, here's a really simple, simple example. So mm-hmm. in our field, right. I, I mentioned infrastructure companies and I mentioned commercial contractors. Mm-hmm. Commercial contractors tend to subcontract the work. Right. And so they, they go out and they hire like smaller contractors that will do the plumbing, that will mm-hmm. do the electrical work, that's such a So when you have a product like ours that we hadn't released the manage page, mm-hmm. right? the ability to manage construction throughout, right. you're selling something that's a pre-construction tool mm-hmm. to a company that subcontracts the work, their response is, but... Like, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really optimizing the work at this point. I've mm-hmm. self-contracted everything. I don't really care about optimizing anything, right? When you take that same tool and you sell it to infrastructure companies, mm-hmm. infrastructure companies tend to own their own equipment. They don't right. So they really care about optimizing it up front in the bidding, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? construction. Right. So completely like same tool, same capabilities, but a completely different value proposition to do different people. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. Thank you. Yeah, so so that's what like 
the thing that, that, that we learned, right, and it, it seems obvious, right, but it's the way that you are selling to this type of client is going to affect your pricing, your messaging, your mm -hmm. marketing, your customer success, your level of service, like your product, right? What are they focusing on? And the issue is that um, I don't believe that it is possible or feasible for a human mind to crunch all those variables live across mm -hmm. six or seven different types of customers. Mm -hmm. And so if you focus, like if what's going to kill a small company is a lack of focus. So if you focus the, your company onto a specific type of customer, the messages that you're starting to start getting from your clients that are going to resonate into your customer success department and your product department and your uh, marketing department and, and you know, everyone else is going to be solving the same problem. If you focus on a given ICP, what will start to happen with the advent of time is that your departments start to become aligned and you start getting closer and closer to that product market fit. Absolutely. And I'd say the, uh, the other reason that um, uh, the uh, startups in particular need to bear this in mind is because trying to crunch all those variables in one head doesn't work. Even if you do run three, four or five business lines, you basically lose all your agility and that's your big competitive advantage as a startup, right? To really serve one customer group extremely well and be able to change your, your products very quickly compared to all the corporates that cannot do that. So you mentioned already like, you know, the alignment between the different departments. You mentioned customer success, products, marketing. Uh, how far is Alice in building up all those departments and where are you focusing your recruitment, your buildup at this point in time, how do you feel about balancing resources between, let's say, the product and the go-to-market side of the business? You know, building a, a go-to-market engine, and to me, the go-to-market engine is, you know, marketing, sales, customer success, mm -hmm. like, takes several years. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's not something where you're going to wake up in the morning, flick a switch, and you're done. Mm -hmm. Right? There are examples, right? There are examples of companies that, that, heck, they hit it on day one, and God bless them, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> 99% of entrepreneurs don't have that experience. That's right. Right. And so um, to us, we have really, I think, have a fully functioning, you know, each separate department, you know, has been up and running and standing on its own feet for, I don't know, six, 12 months, six months. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, and we've been at it for, you know, seven years. You know, everything has a plus and a minus. But for us, it took us, you know, three and a half years to craft the technology, mm -hmm. right? It took us two years to build a product around the technology. And it took us, you know, a year to commercialize it and build up the departments around it. So that's mm -hmm. kind of right. Um, the next question you asked me was, was how do you think about... Um, you know where to focus something we've noticed is is we call it the bottleneck yeah and the bottleneck tends to move around departments yes and the way that you can tell where the bottleneck is is just literally listen to who's currently the one that's being blamed for most of the things that are in front <laughs> right yes right yeah and, and it's funny because like throughout the history of the company like i remember like product oh my god those product guys like they, they they're just idiots they're completely not understanding what the customer wants they're like you know, right. every, everything's blown on product. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, well, you know, what do we do? We fire all the product guys? Like, and then, but you sit with them and you start working on, on, on the product because the product is, is the, the kind of where the pressure is kind of landed at this point. Right. So you fix it. You fix that mm -hmm. issue. 
Yeah. Right? Suddenly products up and running. And I'm not kidding you. Like I remember this clearly. This is an example from our company's history. And it was like three weeks later, it was like customer success. I mean, those guys are really messing it up. Like, <laughs> and then you're like customer success. And then you're like, wait, but did, did all of you forget that it was product three weeks ago? And then, you know, you fix the customer success piece and suddenly becomes sales, right? So that's the question. It's usually, in my opinion, relatively quick and easy to figure out where the bottleneck, as we call it, the bottleneck works. It's like a weakest link almost in the chain, yes, right? The weakest link. Yes. And the weakest yeah. link is, is, you know, whichever one you need to work on at this point. Mm -hmm. what's, what's, what we've done as a company is we've all sort of sat down, you know, and then what I've said is like, look, guys, this bottleneck is going to move. Right. And so at some point, you're going to be the one that looks like you're completely screwing everything up. Yep. And you're, you know, responsible for everything not working, right? And so let's all sort of understand that that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And that bottleneck, by the way, has landed on me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? But let's all understand that that's happening. And when that happens, let's sort of, you know, try to not listen to our instinct, which is jump the person that is turning mm -hmm. and everything. But realize, okay, we all need to pitch in and help that current department, you know, not become the bottleneck. Correct. And we all know that once you do that, it's going to move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. When that happens, let's all kind of do that. So I think that's been really, really effective for us. So a little bit deeper on that go-to-market, like how do you actually approach those potential customers? What are some, some things you found that really work? Because I know a lot of the audience it's struggling with those very tactical questions, right? Like we kind of know who our target group is, but who do we, how do we actually get in contact? How do we start selling to them? There's a simple exercise I would recommend everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's basically draw a three by three grid, right? right? And that three by three grid is, you know, on, on one of the X axis, you've got price, which is yeah. high, medium, low. On the other axis, you've got level of service. Mm -hmm. Again, high, medium, low, right? And you've got to look at the, your product and you got to think to yourself, you know, there's a couple of questions that you want to ask. What is your level of service? So is your product something where someone can literally log on, click the button and use it? Mm -hmm. Great. If that's the case, then you have a pretty low level of service, which means that you can charge a low amount for it. Right. Right. So for us, for example, we know that it's a high level of service. Yeah. Our product is not a simple, you know, it's not a, a touch the, you know, press the button. And so it requires training. It requires, you know, some handholding. It requires some support. So our level of service is high. That said, also don't forget that we invented a technology. It didn't exist. Right. So, you know, for us, you know, three and a half years to invent the technology, two years to build a product. What does build a product mean? It means, mm -hmm. like, I mean, we had a year where the mantra of the company was automate, automate, like, usability, ease of use, automation, make it easier, make it easier, make it easier, right? Like reduce the amount of time that required to set up our system. Mm -hmm. But the reason I'm sort of mentioning this is that if you have a high level of service that's required, mm -hmm. right? Then you probably want to be at a high price point. Can you talk a little bit about the traction you've experienced so far, whatever you're comfortable sharing with us in terms of how the company has been growing? You hear, you know, product market fit, product market mm -hmm. fit. I've been hearing it for, for a few years, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, I don't know. Like you, when you have it, you know it. Right? We went from, you know, like we increased revenue 3.5x. Okay. In 12 months, right? Very good. Okay. That's a sign of product market fit. But I agree with you. It's never an absolute black and white, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's not. 
you, you just get to get better and better at it as, uh, if you're lucky, of course, and, and good and competent. That's very good. Another question, Renee, is how do you think about building the pipeline for the business? So rather than just to go to market strategy, like how do you actually build up a steady flow of deals coming in all the way from initial leads to closed contracts? It's a great question, Rowan. Here's one thing I can guarantee is, is if you build it, they will not come. <laughs> so I wish more founders understood that, Renee. <laughs> Did you know that from the outset or was that a hard and tough lesson you would have to learn? You know, I, I think I, I learned it. Now I wasn't the first, you know, that learned it. I wasn't the last, maybe somewhere in the middle, you know. Okay, got it, got it, yeah. Okay. I think that, that one of the, like, one of the things I've had is I, I really have had a group of advisors around me. Yeah. And so, so when those advisors tell me something, you know, I, I can't tell you that I listened the first time, but maybe, you know, six months in, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe there's a point here, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's stick, think, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I think that's kind of the, the key thing, right? You got to realize that having a great product doesn't mean that you're going to have a company. Mm-hmm. And so, so what are some of the things you've learned or picked up from your advisors over the years and how to actually build your pipeline? I mean, you know, identify an ICP. Yeah. Like literally like pick something mm -hmm. like, well, I don't know. No, pick something, right? pick a size of company, pick a type of company, pick a type of project. This is sort of, you know, segmented and say, Hey, this is what we're going after. Right. And then say, we're, we, we say no to everybody else. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is like, you've got to be brutal about mm -hmm. saying no. Yeah, the question you got to ask yourself, I think, as an entrepreneur is how many times a day are you saying no? Mm -hmm. How many opportunities have you said no to? And, and if you're saying yes to everything, then, then you, that's wrong. I can almost guarantee that. You should be saying no fairly regularly. Sorry, you know, you're not the right size company, right? We, we tend to focus on companies that are this size or that. Mm -hmm. like, and it's, it's not that it's not personal. I mean, me, I would love every single person in the whole world that's in construction to access Alice. That would make mm -hmm, me happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you have a business to run. If the company is bigger than this size, I'm going to give it one point. If the company is this, they'll give it two points. If I'm mm -hmm. talking to the VP of construction, I'll give it three points. Whatever it is, you, you create some system where you need like six out of eight points to continue. Yeah. That turns a lead into a marketing qualified lead. Mm -hmm. Then they move forward and they, they, we ask them, you know, do you guys have a project? Do you guys have a budget? Do you guys, you know, you look at, these are things that the people that have done this, it's relatively straightforward to them. So yeah. say, okay, I see you move it to, into a sales qualified lead. So mm -hmm. marketing hands it over to sales. Because now sales, sales has talked to the clients actually to understand that yeah. there's a concrete opportunity, right? Exactly. So mm -hmm. sales now says, okay, we're going to take a look at this and we're going to look at, you know, what are the key projects that you have? What are the key problems that you're trying to fix? Is there a real opportunity? Is there a budget? Is there an owner to the budget? Is there problems? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. well, and so forth. And that's what good salespeople do. Yeah. And then it then moves through your pipeline, right? And it moves to now, it gets handed over to customer success. So each of these stages in your life cycle you have to figure out what are the entry criteria? What are the exit criteria? What are the questions that you need to ask? Who in your organization is, is responsible for that stage? Mm -hmm. And then which documents support that stage? Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, for example, in marketing, you know, we have a one pager, right? What is Alice? Right. Yeah. You know, another one, which is how does it work? 
in sales, for example, we've got you know common key objections, right? Here, here's the stuff that the clients push back on. So here's the answers we have. Like, yes, we've heard this before. Here's how we fixed it. Here's the case studies about that, right? So like each of those stages, right, is going to have entry criteria, exit criteria, who's responsible documents, right? Now you can mirror that in your sales force and you start to get something that is relatively manageable. And then you, you're going to have a business if you can, if you can improve what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But you need to know what you're doing. Right, right. You so control, you have to you throw know, the line in the sand first that you start from, right? Right. So the, mm-hmm. these nine stages are how we do business. Each of yeah. these target these companies. These are the hundred companies we're targeting. Here's the people in those companies we target. Here's how somebody makes it from the first stage to the second stage. For us, for example, us technologies, I think we've got nine stages in total. Mm-hmm. Three for marketing, three for sales, three for customer success. How big do you think Alice could become over the years? Let's say 10 years in the future, January 2032. Uh, where do you want Alice to be? Construction is going through a major revolution. What's happening is there's a new ecosystem that's being built. Mm-hmm. And that ecosystem is going to be based on, at least partially or significantly, I would say, on, on a new form of currency. And that currency is data. Knowing who's building what, when, and where, and who can build what, when, and where is, is going to be the name of the game in, in the next you know, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so to answer the question, you know, I think Alice in 10 years from now will be a key player in orchestrating the global supply chain for construction. That is the way I see it. Okay, very good. I will not press you to put numbers on that, but I can imagine that they're going to be very high. Uh, how can people help you realize that vision if they're listening to this podcast episode or maybe interested in Alice? So uh, what are you looking for most? Uh, how can they help? So for us, um, we want to talk to people that are building infrastructure jobs. People, anybody that is involved in building you know, jobs that are 100 million and up in infrastructure or commercial. Okay. Mm-hmm. They should shoot me an email, renee at alicetechnologies.com. Alternatively, look us up online, alistechnologies.com. Go to contact at alistechnologies.com. Uh, shoot us an email, make the intro. I'm confident anybody seeing it will be like, wow, that's that's really cool. So like 98% of the, the meetings that we ask for, you know, get accepted. Like people do want to see what we've built. Um, so. Very cool. Okay. And if somebody's listening and uh, they know me, but not Renee yet, of course, I'm also happy to provide the uh, introduction. The other question I do want to finish with is um, talking about those entrepreneurs that come behind you. Uh, what is the most valuable lesson you could impart on them? And I guess, you know, the, the one thing that, that I would sort of recommend maybe that would be useful is don't underestimate how many other people have solved aspects of what you're doing. Now, leverage that knowledge, leverage, you know, advisors, consultants, books, and, and there's just a lot of information out there. But when it comes, like, like I said, it, there are certain things that are unique to your business. Yes. No one is going to figure that out. That's why, that's why you are doing that business. Mm-hmm. As your value add. Yeah. But there's certain stuff that, that's not. Mm-hmm. Like a pipeline, right? How do you think about pipelines? What's an SDR? Yeah. How do you think about marketing, right? How do you think about sales? How do you commission sales? How do you, you know, like those kind of things, right? Like what are the metrics you want to look for? Right? Mm-hmm. How do you building product? You know, what are the, you know, how do you manage product, you know, construct? Like, these are things that if you pick up two, three books in any one of these subjects, you'll be like, oh, there's, there's a pattern here. Exactly. And anybody that has done this has figured out that these are the things I need to think about. So I guess that would be- You don't have to reinvent the wheel on everything, right? And don't. I would not. You, don't, you should not reinvent the wheel on this kind of stuff. You've okay. got way too many other fish to fry. 
<laughs> exactly. Focus on the stuff that makes you unique. And, and I like how you link that to that's the reason why you're doing this business in the first place, right? So that's very good. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and superb insights, Renee. Renee Morcos, founder and CEO of Alice Technologies. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it was great to be here, Ron. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more hot startups and interviews with some of the highest momentum startup founders in tech today.